0: What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Mario Sacasa. Welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Wilwood's Faith and Marriage. I pray that you are having an amazing day today and just enjoy this crazy summer heat that we're having here in Southern Louisiana. I'm not sure where you are right now, but it is really hot. Anyways, nothing to do with the show. Okay, well, so often we feel that to be a faithful Catholic, we need to work for the church or work for some explicit Catholic-related ministry. But I'm here to tell you that's not the case. You don't have to do that. Like, to be a faithful Catholic, what we actually need is for you to be able to exercise Catholic values and Catholic ethics in workplaces and communities and neighborhoods. But the question often is, well, how do I do that? Because it's clear in doing ministry, you know, you can exercise your faith, but how do I do that in a civil society? Well, joining me on the show to talk about that is christopher pereira and aaron monan who are authors of the book catholic leadership for civil society christopher is also the ceo of Tepeyac leadership initiative which is a program that's geared towards training catholic leaders for society and not just for lay ecclesial ministry So in today's episode, we have a wonderful conversation about these themes. We talk about what it means to be a leader, the importance of needing faithful Catholics, again, in all aspects of society, which includes businesses, nonprofit board service, politics, We need Catholics in all these spaces. We also encourage you to be able to figure out and discern where God is calling you to serve and how God is asking you to serve in your communities and in your neighborhoods. And also we talk about the role that hope plays in leadership. Well, if you find this helpful, this show helpful, then please leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Again, share it with your friends, share it on the socials, and, and just spread the word about what we're doing here in the Always Hope Podcast. So God bless everybody, and let's get into this conversation about Catholic leadership. Christopher and Aaron, thank you guys so much for joining me on the Always Hope podcast. How are you both doing today?
1: Beautiful. beautiful.
0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you guys for for joining me and having this conversation to talk about a Catholic leadership for civil society, a practical guide on authentic lay leadership. I'm grateful for you for the work that you guys put together to to, to put this book, and uh, certainly just trying to get into these questions of what leadership really is. And I think what i appreciate about the book just kind of get right out of the gates is that the the approach that you're taking is is not just looking at lay ecclesial leadership which of course in its own right has garnered a a lot of attention and a lot of thought in terms of how catholic lay ecclesial ministers operate in terms of what's the role of uh the the dre or the the catechetical teachers or you know the high school theologians or those of us who are even in uh, public apostles that work in ministries but that's not the group that you're going after in this book. Really, the, the group that you're going after is the, the folks who are working in the secular world, um, those young adults who get their degrees in business or political science or uh, counseling or medicine, but are operating in primarily secular environments and trying to give them a, a perspective or a lens to say, this is how you can live your faith. And this is how you should live your faith, even, not shouldn't say should, but could live your life, could live your faith, e- even in a secular environment. Um, so it seems like, obviously, that was, that was very intentional. So tell me where the idea came from for this book, and, and why specifically um, is that the intention that you wanted to go after?
1: Absolutely, doctor. So first of all, that's a wonderful summary of what the book does and says. Um, and the book is really an organic development of the work that we have been doing for the past six years in an organization that I lead and that Erin is highly involved with as well. It's called Tepeyac Leadership. And what we have been doing is precisely forming leaders. And the brand of leadership, the type of leadership that we are forming Catholic professionals, mostly, primarily young Catholic professionals, millennials, Though the program doesn't have an age restriction, but that sh- that seems to be our sweet spot um, is civic leadership. Civic leadership, and when we started, what we did is we actually borrowed the template from the secular world. We didn't invent the wheel; re- try to reinvent the wheel. We we observed and we identified that out in secular society, there's such a thing and has been for a while as. Uh, civic leadership development most major cities in the united states have programs that take on names like leadership philadelphia leadership los angeles most of these are large nonprofit organizations and that's what they're doing they're all they're all secular and they're forming professionals and then really pushing them or catapulting them into key leadership positions in their communities so we observed this and we saw that it was a, a noble concept a noble idea. Unfortunately, we also discovered that most of these programs, Mario, um, are forming leaders with values that ran counter to Catholic teaching. So we saw an opportunity. We thought, gosh, this is not being oriented, right? We could do it better because we could make it Catholic. So we borrowed the template from the secular world and created, as far as we know, the only civic leadership development program in the United States, and that's Tepeyac Leadership Initiative. That's the name of our program. And uh, from the early fruit that we saw in Phoenix, where we started, we felt encouraged to take the program national. And somewhere along the way, we realized that this program needed a book, uh, but but we also wrote a book that would be valuable to anybody that's not even connected with our program, just for all Catholic professionals to uh, rethink the way in which they can best serve Mother Church and help advance the mission of of the church
0: out in the world. That's excellent. Aaron, anything more you'd like to add to that?
2: Um, honestly, not much. Christopher <laughs> shared it very well. But um, yeah, we we just believe that this is an important concept to share and to get into the hands of lay Catholics everywhere. Um, so we, we wanted to put it in a practical guide um, in a small book that people can just pick up and just see step by step how to engage civil society as a Catholic leader. So it's just something that we are very passionate about. Obviously, the idea came from uh, a lot of Christopher's work with uh, Tapiac Leadership Initiative, and we just wanted to put it in another form for people to reach who may never get to go through um, TLI. So,
0: Well, Erin, I guess I'm interested, like, what what brought you on board with this? I mean, Christopher talked about where the, the initiative started, but um, what, what Where were you introduced into this and what is it about TLI um, that that excited you or that, that brought you on board?
2: yeah so i went through tli in 2019 so i graduated from that uh from the program in the summer of 2019 and so i've been very uh a major champion of uh tli since then um it just taught me a lot personally about how i can engage my own leadership skills uh, um, in the secular world but as a catholic really bringing that to the forefront of my mind because before i I was really good at being the other kind of Catholic leader that Christopher described that we need people to be, but we also need people out in the world. So, you know I've been involved in a lot of Catholic things and had leadership roles there, but no, how can we take this out into society? So that's just a little bit of background about my personal passion for the topic. Um but I'm also a writer and I was uh I spent a lot of time writing for the TLI blog and the TLI Instagram account for several months after I graduated from the program. And I think because Christopher knew that about me and and wanted to get this project off the ground fairly quickly and writing a book is is difficult it doesn't matter how long or how short it is or how simple or complex the concept is it's it's a it's a process and it takes a lot of time and we wanted to get this message out quickly because it is very urgent and it's very timely but um, christopher obviously has a lot of things on his plate a lot of good and important things and he started writing the book and realized you know what if i want to get this done in the timeline that i just really feel it needs to be done in, i'm not going to be able to do this alone so um he invited me onto the project after he had written the first few uh parts chapters of the book and had a good idea of how the rest of the book was going to go and um I've gladly accepted because um, I I believe in, in, in this topic and this uh, mission to get this message into the hands of as many lay Catholics as we can. And then I also absolutely love writing. So it was uh, win, an win. honor to be invited. Win-win, yeah. win.
0: that's what it sounds like. That's great. Well, Christopher, mm-hmm. I imagine for you just hearing Erin talk about her experience with the program, I mean, I'm sure for you, that's gotta be incredibly rewarding.
1: Yes, definitely. I think Erin is one of our uh, Tepeyac leaders, is what we call our graduates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very proud of all of them. Mm-hmm. And Erin is probably one of the ones that is really making the most out of the experience by putting into action what she has learned through TLI and then has become such a formidable advocate for the program. And now with the book, let me tell you that I am convinced that it was the Holy Spirit that wanted Erin to be part of this project. I. I certainly had a vision for the book but erin didn't just bring in her excellent writing skills but so many so many different uh chapters uh are so strong now because she added so many elements that i had not even thought of right and and one of the just to give you an example one of the the strengths in in erin that i i really appreciate is her uh the way in which she identifies the need for prayer through prayer, uh, to be really consistent and and dedicated to prayer in everything that we do, right? And so the book uh, includes that, and that comes from Erin, and so many other beautiful elements that wouldn't be there if she hadn't said yes to the invitation.
0: Well, praise the Lord. That's actually one of the parts Thank I wanted you. to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, there it is. All right, beautiful. That's great. Did you guys get to to chat a little bit? Okay, so I'm I'm kind of actually I want to talk both about TLI, but then also talking about the book itself. Um, and so I think we're kind of going to be ducking and weaving as we kind of go through this conversation because I know that the, like you said before we started recording, that the general principles of the book, um, or TLI I should say, are in the book. But you don't have to be a TLI graduate or student to understand the book. Anybody can be the book can read the book. It can be something that I think, as you said it's a it's a it's something that can in, introduce people to TLI, but it's also a gift to the graduates of TLI to kind of work kind of in, in both ways um, so I guess really the the place to start is how do you define leadership I mean you're talking about a book about leadership and so sometimes it's one of those words that's kind of nebulous to kind of wrap your 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 hands around or maybe everybody has a little bit of a different definition about it so i'd love to hear from both of you so that way at the start of our interview here you know i'm, a, I'm i have a phd for a reason i want to get all my definitions out right out of the gates and i want to make sure that we're all operating with the same you know working definitions of our terms and so uh so let's go ahead and get this one out of the way how do you define leadership
1: absolutely uh do you want me to go erin or would you like to take yeah, a stop mm-hmm. okay So the first thing, Mario, is the and we say this because we have a chapter on it early on the book, right? Mm -hmm. That there is no consensus on what leadership is. And we've done the research, we've been working on the leadership space now for some time. There's no consensus. Even the dictionary doesn't offer much help. And you will find both in English and Spanish that I speak. uh, If you look it up, you'll find something like a a leader is someone who leads or leadership is the act of leading. So right. what does mean? it's not helpful at all. Helpful. So what we have to see is that difference, um, different areas of life, different spaces in life, in society, identify leadership in a different way. For example, in the corporate world, when people speak about leadership and there is a enormous industry behind the word leadership mm-hmm. in the corporate world, um, what they're talking about most of the time is management. It's just moving resources or moving human capital, uh, human resources, right? <laughs> and and that's what they're referring to. And it's very much focused on these people that have a place of authority in a in a hierarchical uh, institution. The CEO, for example, in the religious, in the faith world, in the church. When we think of leadership, we we identify immediately. We think of the pope and the the bishops and the cardinals. And we think of the hierarchy of the church, right? So here uh, in the book, in the work that we do at TLI, we have borrowed the definition from our friends and partners, the Virtuous Leadership Institute. Mm -hmm. The Virtuous Leadership Institute founded founded by Alexander Havard, uh, who are very close friends of TLI. They define leadership as, uh, or a leader as someone who brings about great Outcomes by bringing out the greatness in others. Accomplishing great things by bringing out the greatness in others. Mm-hmm. So that's our definition of leadership. We A leader is someone who brings about great results, great outcomes, uh, great fruit by inspiring others, bringing out the greatness in others. That's the leader. That's a virtuous leader. The space in which we invite people to consider practicing this type of leadership is civil society mm-hmm. and, and more concretely, we are talking about board service, philanthropy or even politics if we have a calling for it.
0: So w- I think what I like about the leadership model, the, the definition there is that, as you said, it's not just tied to hierarchy. It's not just tied to position or rank or where you are in the pecking order of a, of a business organization or even within the church. But it's 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 something more personal, like that there is a position of authority, of course, that we all that we have, or that should we should seek, um, but that that position of authority isn't just based solely on the rank, but it's based on you said the outcomes, and not just the outcomes in terms of monetary gains, which you know could be, of course, if you're a businessman and you want to be successful, that's fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but really about serving others and about making sure that. The people that you work with are are also feeling like they can become great in their own way as well i think i said that right um and so aaron w- what else would you like to add to that
2: um again not much christopher summarized it very well but i i guess i would share just personal experience Please. you know um as i I not i don't necessarily do a whole lot of like leadership or or managing of people i should say um in that sense of leadership but um i i you know, I am under leadership and some of the things I do. And there's a very big difference uh, in the in the people who live out this definition of of true leadership, um, accomplishing great things by bringing out the greatness in others. And there's also a very clear way of not doing that. And I I do have um, I do work under leaders with with who, who live this out and who don't. And there's a very clear difference in the way that I feel about working for those people and the way I feel about working with those who um, who do not live out this this definition. So um, it's really important that we we remember as Catholic leaders in civil society as well, you know, even if we're not managing people or we're not. Leading an organization or anything—it can be any size of whatever—it it doesn't matter. It, in our own roles, whatever that is, we we should be striving for bringing out the greatness in others, regardless of if we're at the bottom of the totem pole or the top. So,
0: yeah, I guess yeah, I'll tell you. You know what's coming to mind right now is—is is not a Catholic. Uh, show by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the show Ted Lasso. Have you guys watched that? You've been Anybody fans of Ted Lasso on Apple Apple TV Plus?
1: Not too familiar.
0: No. Okay, <laughs> man. All right. Come on. All right, man. Geez. Forgive <laughs> us. <laughs> my listeners know I love shows and movies and stuff, so my brain always goes back to to referencing that. A Ted Lasso is, I, I will encourage you actually to watch if you're in leadership, particularly the first sure. season. Season two is a little weak, but, but season one is a wonderful demonstration of exactly the definition you're speaking about. It, it's, it's kind of a funny show. It is a funny show. It's based on, a, on an American football coach from, from Kansas, Ted Lasso, who gets hired to manage a British premier soccer team. That's the basic premise of the show, so it's 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 ridiculous right out of the gates. And they explain how that they they eventually explain how this coach who has zero coaching soccer coaching experience, um, you know, can be become this British premier uh, football coach soccer coach. And uh, what the show is about, so the reason the reason he's hired for this is really it's just a setup. The whole thing is a setup for him to fail, and you discover that really early on in, in in the series. But what he does is that he brings his his leadership style is one that is about the stu- about the, the the players. And so he's always for the players and challenging them, but loving them. And you can see that this guy gets in people's lives and, and really loves them. And eventually he's able to win over the whole team. And 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 so what's beautiful about the show is that you see this one guy who really is virtuous. Ted Lasso is, is really a virtuous individual. I mean he has a couple slip-ups, he's not perfect, but but he's trying. You can see that he's trying and how his goodness impacts this whole system, a billion-dollar enterprise of a soccer team, from the owner down to the players, to the advertisements, everybody, to the media, to the whole bit, that he's able to change everybody's kind of perspective just because of his own goodness and how it bleeds over um, throughout this whole this whole enterprise. Um, so he's the model, I think, in terms of a secular, I know it's a secular model, it's not Catholic. It's um, certainly not religious. It has its moments, for sure. I. I, I all the caveats out. But the show by and large is is really the first season is 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 stellar. So I guess I can't say too much more because you guys haven't watched it. But 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 I'm thinking that like, you know, if if that he's a he's a model for the sense that like well I guess let me say it this way. The 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 other thought that I'm thinking about is because I've read some of these leadership texts. I know like Christopher like you said, this is a, a huge enterprise because obviously there's a lot of research that's done because what we're realizing more and more is, is it is about human relationships. I mean, even in the secular executive culture, the language is shifting to um, positive psychology, to uh, emotional intelligence, to understanding people and recognizing how to deal with people, that the leaders who are successful are those that are hopeful, those that are able to inspire, those who are able, who actually care for people, um, that those are the, the best managers, those are the best leaders, even in a corporate environment, that we, so it can't just be about the bottom line anymore. And I think we're we're seeing that, or at least again, I'm not an expert in that. I've read just a little bit, but I have read some, but even in the secular environment, you're seeing a shift from just focusing on the bottom line to focusing more on that human capital. Um, And so it it makes sense then that, you know, I guess just your definition of leadership kind of fits with that. So I don't know what thoughts you have, Christopher.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I agree with your assessment. I think the secular world is climbing up a mountain and getting to the top and finding <laughs> the wisdom of the Catholic Church is already camping <laughs> at the summit because um, this new language that is being used in secular corporate leadership materials, is really Christian values for the most part.
0: For the most part, right. Christian but
1: the- values, Christian values that have been retouched <laughs> to leave the, the religious aspect out. Uh And in the church, we've always known that it's about growing in virtue and building character. <laughs> we've always known that it's about holiness, <laughs> right? Be- becoming, striving, it's a, it's a lifelong commitment, striving to become a better version of ourselves daily. Lifelong commitment, lifelong journey and that's how we become and we believe we we are convinced that by virtue of our baptism we're called to be leaders
0: that's right so aaron how do you see kind of the catholic faith influencing leadership thought how do you see the two of those kind of bridging together
2: oh wow i think they naturally go hand in hand um something i don't know if we mention it in our book i think we do we mentioned it in our book at some point how um you know when when christendom existed uh which we can get to our thoughts on its current state later but um people became leaders simply because they were catholic because their faith informed them so much that they wanted to naturally lead others because they they had the truth, they knew the truth, they were living it and they wanted to bring others to it with them. But unfortunately, we don't see that a whole lot in our modern world. So that's something that Christopher and I uh, are, are very passionate about bringing back is, is this sense of, no, we need to because of our faith or or because we're a leader, we need to marry the two together. We need to be Catholics and leaders at the same time. Um, so I think it can look a lot of different ways. I mean, the sky's the limit, really. If you're, like I said earlier, you don't have to be managing people to be considered a leader anymore. You could be a leader on your social media online presence. You can be a leader of a Bible study. You can be a leader of mom's group like it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be like us you don't have to be a ceo anymore to be considered a leader so um i just think really bringing your faith into any aspect in any area of your life that you you can um i think i think people should and and that's what the laity really is called to um you know i i know a lot of stay-at-home moms and they're the leader of their family. They could be a Catholic leader in civil society just by the way they raise their children. So I think I think they naturally just do go hand in hand. You know, because you're Catholic, you are called to lead. And because you're a leader, you're called to bring your faith into that.
0: That's great. All right, Erin, I got another question for you as I've been thinking. I, my, my audience mostly is young adults and I'm thinking about a lot of people who work in the church and, um, do ministry, just like you said, I think your background, you were a focused missionary and, and, and mm-hmm. served in different ministries, but now you're serving in a, as a capacity leading, directing philanthropy for a nonprofit, um, still a Catholic nonprofit, but a shift here, I would say from specific ministry to now being a little bit more of kind of in a business environment. How was that transition for you leaving kind of official kind of church work like that to now being kind of in a more, um, corporate, you know, setting?
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm a development officer. Mm -hmm. So I am actually under uh, a director of philanthropy Mm -hmm. and chief philanthropy officer and all those things. So I actually don't manage or lead anyone, but I, I've seen, um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a great, uh, uh, differences and similarities so yes focus was is, is all about the faith that's literally literally what we are doing we are bringing the faith to college students and you know there's a lot of things that go into that but the goal and, and and the purpose and everything is is to bring them closer to Jesus Christ so working for a Catholic organization whose main mission is very very Catholic and that's what we all um are, are centered around and then going to an organization who who is Catholic and has Catholic roots and, and foundation and, and faith um, intertwine into what we do. Um, but we do operate in, in a secular setting more so than I was um, at Focus. So we serve everyone um, any our, our staff and our guests can be of any faith. Um, it doesn't matter. We will serve you. Uh, it doesn't matter your your faith background, your your ethnicity. It, it doesn't matter. So it, it's been really cool, actually, to to see so many different people and demographics and faiths represented at st vincent de paul even though it is a catholic organization and to still be able to bring the faith into as many aspects of my personal line of work as i can um, there is a big difference because we are op- operating much more in, in a secular setting in a secular world at st vincent de paul um, you know there's, there's opportunities in conversations with donors in conversations with guests in the the volunteers that come into our um facilities there's always an opportunity to bring the faith so as in my personal role um i i'm looking for those opportunities in every in every way i can and and sometimes it takes some time to to get people to even be open to talking about you know very very faithful and specific aspects of our Catholic faith within the work of St. Vincent Nepal, because we do have a lot of donors just by nature who give, because I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, how could you not care about feeding and serving the homeless, you know? So, so people are, are just passionate about the, about what we do, no matter what their background is. So, but in, in my role, trying to not digress too much. Um, <laughs> bringing the faith into it is is still one of my main missions and my main goals. Um, many of my direct colleagues are not Catholic, and that's totally fine. Um, so having little, uh, I have crucifix in my cubicle, I have prayers all on my cubicle. Um, you know, I, I pray before almost every phone call I make and um, every email i send um and everyone knows that i'm catholic and i live my faith so there it's just it you have to work a little bit harder when you in are are in a more secular space to to bring your faith aspect to it but it's not impossible and honestly people appreciate it
0: that's great and christopher i know that again we've said earlier that the the students that you're targeting, or the potential students you're targeting for TLI, are individuals who are working in these environments, um, not just the St. Vincent de Paul, but even at, you know, uh, uh, well, you said earlier there were like three particulars that you're looking for. And you said specifically it was like boards, board members. What did you say earlier? Politicians and what was so it?
1: we yeah. are um, looking for potential participants in mm-hmm. every space of human activity in the most right. secular environments. However, and we want to bring them closer to our fold and hopefully have them experience the, the, uh, the TLI program, at the very least read the book. Uh, and then when we send them off, we invite them to consider the multiple uh, areas in which they can lead in civil society. But we have identified perhaps primarily three that have the most potential to make an impact. And the first two are philanthropy and politics, and mm-hmm. we certainly ask everybody to prayerfully discern if that's where God is calling them to uh, to exert influence and leadership as Catholics. So this is Catholic leadership in civil society, but probably the largest one, the one that we make the most uh, no- noise about it, there's an entire chapter dedicated to it, is board service. Mm-hmm. And board service, as we, as we tell the reader, is where leadership happens, and we try to change help change the chip in the minds of lay Catholics who maybe have grown accustomed to thinking that the best way to serve the church is by going back to the parish and signing up for every ministry they possibly can. And I always say, and they sometimes set up a tent and camp at the parish. (laughs) We're not saying don't be involved with your parish. Absolutely not. Get involved and be of service to your pastor, but your true field of mission is the world and in board service there's tremendous opportunity to influence the world. So we have broadened the definition of board service. When we speak about board service, we definitely mean real boards, boards of directors, advisory boards, fundraising boards, nonprofit, for-profit, faith-based, non-faith-based, all boards. But we also mean your local Lions or Rotary Clubs, your homeowner's association, your parent-teacher association. Think of your local public school board, we need more faithful catholic voices well-formed and faithful catholic voices sitting at all of those tables where decisions are being made those decisions that impact the culture
0: I, i love it i love it and so again because like when you think about it i mean i've thought about this many times i know you guys talk about lumen gentium and and i've had a whole episode dedicated to that on in a previous episode of the podcast where i spoke with a theologian about the theology of the laity, and and really the way you're articulating it is the way that the church articulates it, and that's the the vision of the Second Vatican Council wasn't to create um, lay apostolates, which have come and have been great, obviously. You know, you talk about focus. That's a successful lay apostolate. I work for a lay apostolate now at Faith and Marriage and others, but that the primary mission or the theology or the encouragement, I was to say, surrounding the Second Vatican Council's mission or vision of of the laity is more what you're speaking about, which is to say that like you have to be leaven from within and you gotta go and you gotta serve and you gotta be out in these communities um, because Catholic thought, Catholic conscience, um, virtuous leadership, as you've been saying, is needed in every single one of these domains, whether it is just, I love how you said very simply, just even thinking about PTA boards at your local school or rotary clubs or homeowners associations, even at the most grassroots level, you know, if, if you have people of faith in those spaces, then we hope that those, those, those spaces operate with a different consciousness, I guess might be the right word. It's a different way of thinking, a different awareness, um, similar when it comes then to serving in nonprofits um, or being politicians or being in philanthropy, um, that, again, any of these works of public service, because that's what a nonprofit primarily exists for, is to, to serve a community, that any of these works of public service, that if they have, again, faithful Catholics in this space, then it's going to trickle down and to help the communities and to help those communities kind of grow in, in a better place. Um, so I guess I guess I just continue to think about people who have grown up feeling that their only way to serve the church was through a parish, which I believe in the parish, obviously I believe the parish model, I believe the church hierarchy and its structure, but that the encouragement is to not just be stuck at the parish, but to be able to, to get out from there. So again, Christopher, just as, you're, as you've been doing this for the last few years, how are you helping How are you helping people kind of make this shift in their mindset that says that I can serve God in his church by not formally serving his church in an official paid position?
1: Well, I have been simply trying to appeal to their reason because if all of the lady set out to become, if all of us, the lady dropped our jobs to become theologians, apologists, and catechists, we simply wouldn't be able to serve mother church And influence society, be the light of the world and south of the earth as we're called to be. Mm -hmm. If all of us did that. And unfortunately, very often when a lay Catholic has an experience of encounter or re-encounter with Christ, they're so fired up for the faith. That's the first thing they think about. They want to go for that uh, theology, that master's in theology, Mm -hmm. and become apologists, right? Mm -hmm. So truly, some will have that calling, but that is a minority. That is rare. If God has blessed us, with a professional career, with a college education, and has made us, turned us into accountants, lawyers, business people, teachers. That's because that was meant to be our field of mission. And we're trying to help lay people understand that, particularly professionals. This is, as you well put it, uh, the neglected call from the Second Vatican Council. This is what the council invited the lady to, to consider that the Pope, the bishops, and the priests They cannot influence society and its institutions from within as we can, as the lady can. All
0: right, everybody. How are you doing? Enjoying this conversation? I hope so. Just taking a quick break here from my discussion with Aaron and Christopher to talk about faithinmarriage.org. I want to encourage you to check out the good work that we're doing with Willwood's community. If you want to come to one of our upcoming marriage retreats, please do so. A number of our retreats certainly are parish sponsored, but that doesn't mean that we that you can't go on them. So please, if you're interested in coming on one of our upcoming marriage retreats, look at the dates on the website at faithinmarriage.org. We have our dates listed for 22. We already have our dates up for 23 as well. And if there's a weekend that particularly you know, fits your schedule, reach out to us and, and we'll give you some instructions to help you out and do what you can. But we have great retreat ministry, wonderful speakers, who who come in speaker couples who come in and share their story their testimony the retreat grounds at the St. Joseph Abbey Retreat Center is is beautiful and so we would love for you to join us come and join us on an upcoming marriage retreat to find out those dates again for 22 or 23 go to faithinmarriage.org Yeah, and sometimes it's because it seems, and I don't know what it is. I, I think maybe sometimes it seems like it's clear to have the conversion and to go after that theology degree. Like it's like I've fallen in love with the Lord and I want to learn more about him, which is wonderful to go do that for sure. Or or maybe sometimes it, it could also be a place of fear that it's like I'm afraid to operate in, in the workspace because truthfully it is it is scary. I have friends of mine who who are professors at secular environments or doctors in secular hospitals. And it's tough. It's tough being in those spaces and trying to still be a Catholic and stand up for the truth in in those places, um, because there's so much kind of antagonism that that's coming. So I don't know. I don't know if it's again just a fear that could be present. Which again, what it goes back to, I guess, is what you said earlier that there has to be a, a moment of prayer and a real moment of discernment. That if you've had this conversion or if you've been somebody who's who's been to you know high campus ministry, uh, then was a focused missionary like Aaron, like you said, and, and now is making a shift to, to work in a more secular environment, that, that we have to be in a place of prayer and discernment about where the Lord is actually calling you to. Um, so Aaron, I, I'd love to hear your insights a little bit more. I mean, Christopher kind of singled you out there and said that, you know, you're the one who brought up this notion of prayer and leadership throughout the book, um, which is something that I certainly wanted to kind of talk about. Um, but for you, how, how do you see prayer being important uh, for the leader?
2: Uh, it's crucial <laughs> um, and it was interesting this I mean the whole book was inspired by the Holy Spirit as I think Christopher mentioned earlier but this notion of um, embedding prayer into our book was definitely the Holy Spirit because I was just writing one of the chapters and and realized I was like you know what before we even get into this like I want everyone to be praying for for the Holy Spirit to guide them into through and into whatever it is that he has planned for them for this book for this book's message so i just like started typing and obviously he just used me as his instrument to to bring out the words into this beautiful prayer that i hope all of our readers will actually sit and stop and pray through and then that kind of just helped us set the tone for the rest of the book um i you know i've said it a couple, in a couple of conversations, that when you think of a leadership book, it uh, doesn't matter if it's faith-based or not. You don't necessarily think of prayer. It just you don't think leadership and prayer, which is fine. Um, but if we if we stop and really think about it for a minute, you know, Jesus, who is the ultimate leader, stopped and prayed all the time. He would pray entire nights, entire days. His his apostles didn't even know where he was half the time because he was just off praying, and I, I think that was really what, 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 while we were writing the book, really stood out to me. And again, I think the Holy Spirit just pushed us to really make prayer a part of it, because prayer should go hand in hand with leadership. Um, so I think that readers will find our book unique in that way, that it's not only meant to be a practical guide, but a prayerful experience as well.
0: So years ago, when we first moved to New Orleans, uh, the the job that brought me here initially was I was asked to be the director of the Catholic Counseling Service. And so the Archbishop wanted to start a series of counseling clinics uh, throughout the archdiocese that integrated the faith appropriately with the work. And, uh, and so I was tasked to, to be the, the first director of that program. And I felt that at the time that the mission of the program was really kind of twofold. It was one, to be able to provide counseling services from an integrated perspective, but then also to be able to train clinical interns in this approach. In New Orleans, we have about four or five different counseling programs within us. And unlike other ma- major cities, truthfully, geographically, New Orleans is really kind of small. And so it's quite impressive that we do have, you know, we had four or five within, you know, 45-minute r- drive-circle radius that could come and be be interns um, at our facility. And one of the things that I would always tell the interns, I would try to find interns that were Catholic or Christian that were trying to know how to integrate their faith with their work. And there were people most of the we don't have a like a catholic counseling graduate program here in the in in new orleans and so there were people that like myself like i did my my did my masters in a secular program and in my doctorate as well even my undergraduate i did them all kind of in secular programs and so i had a heart for students who were in these secular programs that were trying to wrestle with these questions and trying to understand well how do i bring my faith into my work even if i'm not learning this very learning this explicitly through through my professors and so I'd kind of find these students and every year I'd always bring in about three or four new interns and and try to to teach them ways of being able to integrate their faith within the counseling setting but one of the things that I would tell them early on um, is exactly this message of prayer I said if you're going to do this work uh, you have to get your prayer life in order Um, and and I said that like almost as a warning truthfully because I was like, what we do as therapists is very, very hard work. We are listening to people's problems. We are deeply, intimately connected with with people's stories. People share with us things that they don't share with their mothers, things that they don't share with their wives, things that they don't share with their children, things that we're the only ones who are privy to this knowledge. And at times it can be a heavy weight. But also, so one, we need to be able to pray so that we can be able to 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 offer this to for um, offer this sorrow, this experience that we have you know, on behalf of our clients. But the second piece is that because we're dealing with people's souls and people's consciousness and people's, people's formation of their minds and hearts, that we want to make sure that the things that we say and the ways that we guide them are in concordance with what the Holy Spirit actually wants for these people in their lives as well. And so prayer is something that um, that is necessary for us to be able to put on Christ for us to be able to to put on the mind of Christ and it's not that it isn't it's not that we're just become these these um, avatars that the Holy Spirit just kind of assumes into us and we become widgets or robots I should say or, or or puppets that he just kind of overcomes and overtakes us no it's that the time in prayer allows us to be able to think through um, our our the, our experiences to think through our, intelli- our, our our things that we've learned to think through um, our failures to think through the ways that we've we've done well, the ways that we haven't done well and to be able to reflect continually on our experience so that the next time these moments arise we can be more attuned to how God is operating within our sessions to how God is operating within our experiences as therapists And so I would always tell my interns that message I would say, Listen, you have to get your prayer life in order, not just out of some cutesy kind of comment, but like, like sincerely like this work that we do begins and ends with prayer uh, because we're dealing with people's innermost spaces. Um, a few years ago, I had a conversation with one of my former interns, and this was probably about like five or six years later, after the fact. And and he said, "Yeah, Mario, you know that that phrase, man, it 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 stuck with me all these years, and it's been kind of like this. I can hear it, you know, even in, in my sessions. I like, get my prayer life in order. So it's always just kind of this reminder that I need to make sure that I'm that I'm doing exactly the things that that the Lord wants us to do." So, Christopher, I guess, how else do you see kind of bring um, in prayer in discernment? into this conversation of leadership.
1: Well, one of the things that, that we talk about the bo- in the book, gosh, sometimes it's difficult to separate <laughs> the program from the book in my mind, but I, I do think we talk about it in the book, at least uh, to a certain degree, is that um, without prayer, without a sac- sacramental life, without a plan for spiritual life, without a lifelong commitment to grow, uh yes, we talk about this in the book, to grow in virtue, to form a character through a sacramental life, through a prayer life, right, um with the ancient practices of examination of conscience, and mortifications, small mortifications throughout the day, the angelos, all of these things that are part of our Catholic or should be part of our Catholic life. Without that, we're just simply useless to do mm-hmm. God's work. If we don't have that down, and then we add two other elements, which is a good formation and understanding of Catholic social doctrine and an understanding of the church's teaching on the dignity of the human person. If we don't have those down, we're useless. We cannot, we're not, or, or we're handicapped, right? We, even if we accomplish anything for God's glory, it won't be as much as we could do for his glory if we actually took our prayer amen. life
0: series. amen all right well i'm going to quote you guys here's uh page 34 and i think you're quoting somebody else here so i i, I want to talk it says uh in his book virtuous leadership alexander how do you pronounce his last name havard 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 writes havard. that only a christian who has worked to grow in the four cardinal virtues can then build upon them and grow in the two virtues that are proper to the leader humility and magnanimity why humility and magnanimity Absolutely,
1: the, the great thing about, about it, and I've heard Havard explain it a couple of times, um, is that he's done, he's helped us so much. He's done the research. He's actually spent hours uh, researching the lives of leaders, historical leaders, right? And he, he explains that you have to have both to be a true leader. Some, someone can accomplish big things like Hitler or Stalin, they certainly accomplished big things in size. That, that is a
0: true statement. They were not,
1: <laughs> right? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Um, in, in their dimension, <laughs> they right. were big. But they were not no, great right. things. Mm-hmm. They didn't bring about uh, the betterment of society or humankind in any way. They were mm-hmm. not magnanimous. They were selfish. And uh, another thing that they lacked, those figures that some might uh, erroneously confuse as leaders or might have in history, is humility, but then he goes on to identify true leaders in the history of, of, of civilization, uh, very much focused on Western civilization, but all, he gives other examples too. And true leaders have those two, and they are magnanimous. They they have a big heart, they aspire to do great things, but not for themselves, not for, not for selfish reasons. They're also humble. They have a true understanding of who they are with all of their gifts and talents and strengths, and their weak weaknesses and yeah.
0: shortcomings. Amen. Okay, so th- one of the reasons that that really struck out for me that quote is because in the psychology of the hope or the hope literature, um, which this podcast is called Always Hope. So I've I've done my own personal research on on hope, both psychologically and theologically. I guess I should say philosophically. Then, so there's a book by Joseph Pieper, who was um, a, a, a German philosopher who wrote about the virtues, and in his in his in his book, his treatise on on hope. He says that the sub-virtues of hope are humility and magnanimity to the point that you're speaking about, that in order for one to be hopeful, and if we look at hope as not just a passive experience, but something that is in fact active, that we don't just um, passively you know, like experience hope, that it's a virtue that we cultivate. And just like we cultivate the carnal virtues, we're just like we cultivate love, just like we cultivate faith, we are also called to cultivate hope. And to be a hopeful person means that you have to be thinking about great things, thinking about what the future is going to be and what the potential that you have and being able to make that future a better experience. And so not being afraid to, to dream or to wish or to desire for things to happen that are big. But at the same time, to also anchor that magnanimity with a sense of humility, if not, it can just go off the rails into narcissism, narcissism, which is not the same thing as being a hopeful leader or hopeful individual, that there has to be a certain groundedness to the hope, a certain humility, a certain recognition of, of the limitations of our experience, the limitations of our life, um, the particular circumstances that we find ourselves in, the, the particular gifts that I have and, and the weaknesses that I have also. Hope demands that we take all of that into consideration, and so when we balance both magnanimity and and humility, and we operate, fo- and we move forward with that as a virtue. Um, then we would say that that that's hope. You know, is to be able to bring a sense of renewal within the reality of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. What do you think about that, guys?
1: Aaron, <laughs> 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 I want, don't want to monopolize the mic. <laughs> Sorry to I'm
2: like, I'm still like processing what you said. Could you just repeat that last sentence?
0: <laughs> Sorry. It's great. It's great. Probably the same reaction all my listeners just had. They're like, what the heck did he just say? Rewind that. 15 seconds. Let's go back. Let's push that button. <laughs> just a, a recognition that hope is something that is not uh, just a passive endeavor. And often we think about it that way, that it's like, well, I, I hope my team wins the Super Bowl or I hope that, you know, they have the right gum at the vending machine when I go get it. Or I hope that I just, you know, can uh, win the lottery today or whatever it is that so we often think about hope in this, this passive experience. And, and that that's not the way that the church teaches it, that the church communicates that hope is actually an active process. And just like we have means of being able to grow in our faith, how do we grow in our faith? Well, through prayer, but also through study of Scripture, through being study of of theology. That's why when we said earlier, when people often have a conversion, they want to learn more about their faith. Why? Because they want to be able to grow in their faith and understanding of their faith to be able to exercise their faith. Well, how do we encourage people to grow in love? Well, we encourage people to grow in love by by getting up in the morning and changing those diapers and and and, uh, you know, uh, sacrificing. Uh, Your place at at the the Starbucks line to let the person behind you go in front of you to to give something to the homeless person that's on the street that you grow in an active charity. And those are exercises, the little exercises that you can do to grow um, in 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 a sense of a sense of love. And so the church says also that hope has an active dimension as well. Um, And so I think it's it's pertinent to this conversation with leadership because. And what I've read in in terms of the psychology of hope, in particular its its relationship to leadership, is that hope is is um, is something that is uh, contagious, and it's something that that it, it can be spread to the third degree. I think is what they said. So if I pass on hope to you, you pass it on to the next person. It, it, it passes on at least to the mm-hmm. to the third degree, and that hope is primarily this understanding that we have a capacity to be able to envision the future as being something better than the present, but we also have the capacity to be able to make that so. And so there's an active element to this that all of us uh, are allowed to imbibe in our lives, but if we are put into these key places of leadership, as we've been talking about throughout our podcast, that that hopefulness, not just kind of a a wishy-washy hope, but a genuine sense of hopefulness is something that can be infectious, like it can infect others and and, and help others. but that that hope is particularly grounded in those two sub virtues that you guys quoted on page 34 um, of Alexander Havard's book, that hope to, 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 be, it, to be it sincerely, it has to be hold the tension of both greatness and humility. It has to hold the tension of, I want things to be better, but I'm also operating in reality. It has to be in the tension of, mm-hmm. I desire to make things better, but I also recognize there's only so much that I can do. And the tension of both of that um is is where we would see hope exist.
2: Mm-hmm. Thoughts. Okay. I'm sorry. I did not need mean you for you to repeat literally. <laughs> no, everything no, you're you fine.
0: <laughs> you're fine.
2: <laughs> but that that helped me mm-hmm. understand I better. probably didn't teach um, her at right the
0: first time. So uh, so my brain goes fire in a different time. So.
2: No, it's fine. No, it's okay. I have mom <laughs> brain, so sometimes I just like truthfully like zone out because I'm just yeah, tired and things. Okay. I actually, that that was really interesting because I've been thinking about this exact thing like a lot lately. Um, so yes, hope does need to be active. And I think it is one of those where it kind of makes people scratch their heads. Like, well, how do I be active about hope? Like, I don't really get it. Cause yeah, faith and love, clearly action is required. And that's very obvious from the get-go. Um, but I, I think there they're, hope is for certain active and, and and there are ways to be to be active in it. So um, and then, of course, bringing out that humility and magnanimity as well through that. So a couple things just from my own personal Please. experience. Hope can be active even simply through prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot tell you the amount of times where I prayed to our Lord saying, you know the, the hopes and desires of my heart are these things like if it's your will please let them be like that's a that's an active way of, of living and, and bringing about hope in speaking about it with our lord in prayer um and he knows those things but he wants us to bring them to him obviously that's that's how prayer works he, he knows everything but he wants us to have that relationship with him so when we share our hopes with him that's an active of An active way of living that hope, um, and then speaking more to uh, some of the topics of our book, you know, hope and leadership is is very important. It's very real, and it's it's something that really needs to be at play along with faith and love. So, um, just personally speaking, I. I, I work under leadership at St. Vincent de Paul, but I also lead um, a couple small businesses on the side. And I have some other leadership roles within the community as well. So um, un- understanding how to be hopeful through that. So obviously I have a full time mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. I'm a new mom. My my daughter oh my is six months you. old Congratulations! and I have all of these other and roles. And you wrote a book when Thank you're pregnant. You. That's amazing. <laughs> Yes, I did. Yeah. (laughs) So this is actually I'm glad you asked this question because for the second time when I heard it, (laughs) because I I'm living this. Um, So I have a lot of hopes and dreams for how I want the future to look. Um, I won't go into all the nitty gritty of that, but I bring those to the Lord all the time in prayer. But it also requires action Mm -hmm. on our part. Same with anything we do for prayer. You can pray about whatever you want, but the Lord isn't he's not like a genie in a bottle. You have to bring your skills, your qualities, your prayer, your values, your hard work into that process of praying as well. So while I work a full-time job and I'm a full-time mom, obviously that Mm -hmm. job is always full-time and then have these things on the side, you know, praying, praying through those things, first of all, Lord, this is where I want this to go. This is what I hope for our future. This is what I envision for for glorifying you in these ways. How can you help me get there? Please reveal that to me. So that's the prayer part of it. But then those daily little tasks of, of working on bringing that hope and those hopeful things to life. And of course, if the Lord wills it, he'll let it happen. Um, so I'm in a season of life where like, honestly, I don't even, it's by God's grace that I'm awake enough to get through every day because I am juggling a lot of things um I don't have my own office at home I don't even have my own desk I work in the kitchen and I'm sitting in my (laughs) daughter's room recording a podcast so that's where the humility aspect comes in like clearly I am not like I am not the normal person who people would think like is is doing all of these things like I we're not well off I'm I'm we don't have a lot a big home like i and we're just we're doing what we can with what we have and it's it's been a very humbling experience because like i i'm just like you know what lord if you want these things to happen you're gonna have to like tell me how to figure out to make them happen um so and and he has and it's been beautiful and and really all the glory goes to him um so being active out about hope Having that humility, and it, it will mm-hmm. come into play. It isn't not, maybe not exactly the way it has in my life, but it does come into play. But through that humility, the Lord brings about great things. Like, yes, I wrote a book while I was pregnant. How? I, it, literally by his grace. Um, I, I wrote it at our kitchen table. I wrote it while I was not feeling well, like, but he brought about a great thing. And, and from my littleness. So I, I think, I know that was kind of a long answer to your Great. question, but really hope is is very active. And, and I think he brings about that humility and that magnanimity just by virtue of you praying through hope oh, and acting upon it.
0: And Aaron, thanks for sharing all that and those personal stories, anecdotes as well. It's important for people to know sure. and to see the reality again that, that like you said earlier, writing a book isn't, isn't glamorous. You know, you, you, you write it when you have a few minutes here or there. Um, okay. So as we're kind of coming to, to the end of our interview here, there's one one more topic I want to talk about before we kind of wrap up here. And it's really the theme of excellence. And I know it's kind of, we're spinning off the notion of, of magnanimity, but, but really excellence, particularly in the sense that like desiring to do things excellently. Um, I'll share a story here. So, uh, my oldest son is a senior in high school right now, and he's about to graduate. I mean, he's yeah, literally about to graduate. The, by the time the show airs, he'll, he'll well have already graduates. So I can't claim he's a senior anymore. Um, but anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, so, but a few years ago, h- him and a couple of buddies were over at the house and, uh, this is probably his freshman year. So it's probably about yeah four years ago that there was like a few of them that were over. And one of the boys in particular was, uh, was, is well, my, my son's very intelligent. I'm grateful for that. But one of the boys in particular was, was very intelligent with regards to like math and, and things of that nature. And, uh, and the other kids were kind of like the other boys ribbing him a little bit, you know, kind of being a, I don't want to say nerd because they weren't calling him that, but, but, you know, kind of, they were kind of giving him a little bit and, and Michael at the time was, was, uh, was getting a little bashful about it. You know, he was like a 14 year old boy and, and not quite sure what to do with, you know, their, their comments about how good he is at, at math or how good he is at whatever the subject was. And I could see it kind of in his eyes that he was getting a little bashful about, about, about how good he was. And, uh, and so I, I turned to him and I said, I said, um, Michael, never apologize for your greatness. If your greatness makes other people feel uncomfortable, that's their own problem. Just like that. And he was like, oh, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> and, that, and that put an end to it, you know. Uh which which was which was really great. And um uh, so again, like, you know, sometimes I think we we have like this false notion, the the quote that often is used, and and I understand it, but sometimes it drives me nuts, is God calls us to be faithful, not successful. That's Mother Teresa, right? And and that's true, 100%. Yes, the Lord calls us to be faithful, and so yes, absolutely, trying matters. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing we have control over. But the things that we have control over, uh, we we want to do those things as excellently i don't think that's a real word i didn't say that right but you know as, as best as we possibly can not out of a scruple not out of a perfectionism and i think you guys make that you guys make that quote that difference between excellence and, and perfectionism and so uh just get, christopher thoughts on the difference between the two how we can choose to be excellent without feeling the burden of perfectionism um how we sh- how choosing to be excellent in whatever trade or whatever marketplace or whatever gifts that god gives to us is in fact a a sign of of being faithful to the lord um, and not something that we should be apologetic for
1: so i have another quote and this one is actually i I like jesus quotes
0: you can give me that he
1: he uh uh, calls us to be perfect as Mm -hmm. his father is perfect he uses Mm -hmm. the word perfect what does he mean are we going to be just like him, or just like God the Father is.
0: At some point. Uh, no, I think he's some calling point. us. Holiness he's will calling us but that'll be the case. To, uh, but that's what, we're, we're not that's, that's there. That's right. It's the
1: only way that, <laughs> the only way we'll enter heaven. But he's calling us to strive to to work hard, right? I think uh, one day it was uh, during confession or, or spiritual direction that a priest finally helped me see this, that because I had this wrong notion that I would, at some point in this life, arrive at a place where I had completely conquered all of my weaknesses. <laughs> I had that notion. And the priest told me, no, Christopher, God God appreciates the effort. He wants you c- mm-hmm. to keep trying. So I think that when Jesus was calling us to be perfect, like his father was, is perfect, uh, he was calling us to work every day hard in virtue, in, in becoming holy, in becoming a better person of our, uh, better version of ourselves. How does this transfer into the professional world? Right. And a, a good friend recently made me see this: that in the early days of Christendom, we tend to remember the martyrs and we tend to remember that it was the martyrs that really called the attention, the attention of the world, of, of the pa- pagans. And it was the, the blood of the martyrs that was the seed for the church to, to spring. However, many of the conversions in the early days of the church came from the fact that people would look at Christians and the way in which they would live their life and do their job with justice, with fairness, with joy. And that that was very attractive. That was very attractive. So one of the reasons I think our Lord wants us to be perfect like His Father is perfect is because if we wake up every day and try to do our job to the best of our capacity and show up to work with a smile in spite of whatever is that's happening at home and are fair in our dealings with our coworkers or clients and turn our job well done uh, by the deadline or before and begin to build this reputation of professionalism and excellence, people mm-hmm. will begin to notice. They will begin to look at our lives, look up to us, and at some point wonder what is the secret of our joy what is the source of our joy where does all of this come from and this is of course will always be this this wonderful opportunity to share with them our relationship with yes Jesus.
0: i think we're speaking about is an evangelistic element of excellence and, and i agree with that for sure in terms of the sense that like you know if we do these things well if we're professional people take notice but i guess i i feel like it's an even more it's deeper than that, more than just if I think evangelism comes second. I think the the primary piece is this, and, and here's a quote from, from Martin Luther King Jr. that I've that I that I absolutely love. He says this. He says, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or as Beethoven composed music, or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well, that there's an element of the fact that like, if God's called us to something, then that little piece of the kingdom, that little piece of the vineyard that he's calling us to till, no matter how small it is, no matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, that if we're faithful to that, this is what mother Teresa is saying. If we're, if we're faithful to that and we are excellent in that, then the Lord's noticing and the Lord's, and we're just being, we're just responding, again, like the, the talents, we're responding to what has given has been given to us. We're taking these great gifts, and, and however the Lord wants to use them, and if he leads us to be, you know, celebrities or popular, okay, great. If he doesn't, okay, great. If he's calling us to be a, a, a CEO of a, a multinational corporation, okay, great. But if he wants us just to be in our own little kind of Etsy personal shop or whatever it is that we're doing, okay, great. Whatever it is that if we're just faithful to whatever that is, then that's what the Lord is asking of us. That's what the Lord is asking us to be responsible to. And so, it, there is something about about choosing then to be like the street sweeper. That if that's what the Lord's calling you to do, then man, you do that street sweeping as well as you possibly can, uh, because that's the part of the kingdom that God has called you to operate in and to respond. And that's when we talk about prayer, to have clarity about where it is that he wants us to be, where it is that he wants us to operate, and how is it that he wants us to bring excellence into the specific spaces um, that, that he has called us to be in. So, okay, Christopher, Aaron, thank you guys both so much for, for coming on the show. If anybody's interested in getting the book, um, how, how can they purchase it?
2: Mm-hmm. You want me to yeah, go ahead? Go ahead. <laughs> yes,
1: please, <Sharon. laughs>
2: Well, you can find our our book's website at catholicleadership.net. Um, and then if you just go directly to Amazon and type in Catholic Leadership, you don't even have to type in the whole title. Um, our our book is the first to pop up so catholicleadership.net uh you can learn more about christopher and i and some other details of of the book and then to purchase the book um just go to amazon and type in sounds great well
0: i'll have a link to that in the show notes for sure and final question ask all my first time guests and uh, christopher i'll let you go first here is what gives you hope
1: gosh uh well I, i most of my inspiration and that would include hope uh, comes from seeing my family every morning, getting up every day, serving breakfast to my children. Um, that I would say is my good. family.
0: Aaron,
2: gosh, how do you follow that up? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I would say the same thing. It, especially being a new parent, um, you know, everything I, me and my husband do is is to create a good future for our children. So. Uh, doing the things we do and and working hard gives us hope for um, a better future for them well
0: great answer well thank you guys both for for sharing that as well as just joining me on the show and talking about the book that you've that you've written Uh, many blessings to the both of you and, and the good work that you guys are doing so thanks so much
1: thank you so much it's an honor
2: thank you very much
0: All right that does it that's it great episode wonderful i hope that you've enjoyed it again being able to talk and reflect on what it means to be a catholic leader in society that's our encouragement for you is to not just think that you have to go to the chancery or you have to go to the parish but rather we want you to go out that's what the church calls us to do it's our role as lay people to be the leaven from within to be the salt of the earth the light of the world and that means we need to be exercising our faith and our values in whatever marketplace, whatever business, whatever educational setting, whatever uh, political setting, whatever nonprofit setting that that you feel called to be in, then go be in those spaces and and become friends with your neighbors and in your communities so you can be witnesses of the Catholic faith in all of those spaces. And so I pray that this show has been a blessing to you, helpful and encouraging to, to, to do that exactly. And if you have any questions, then please check out the book Check out Tepec Leadership Initiative or just find me on the socials at Dr. Mario Sikas. I'm happy to answer whatever questions, whatever thoughts you may have about this episode. So God bless everybody. Hope you're having a great day.